This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And hey, look at us. We're back <laughs> again to talk about movies. Hey, look at us. Look. This is a new intro every week. Hey, look at us. Hey, look you at can't. us. We're back. <laughs> what's up? I know what's up. I feel like I haven't talked to you in like a week. I know. We, well, the listeners don't know this, but we took a week off. We're very shady when we take time off because we always make sure there's like a new ep. Yeah. So that you guys don't know. How are you adjusting to uh, to your new place? Oh, it's fine. I just wanted to say uh, I'm going to just throw this out there. If you hear a loud bang, it's because there are golf ball sized nuts falling <laughs> onto the house that I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I don't know I'm what sorry. to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. This sounds like a cartoon. Yes. What is happening over there? So, you know, I, I'm sort of, you know, the, there's a lot of yard in this house and there's this <laughs> tree. I, I, I had to Google it because I was like, what? And um, it's like a hickory tree. I think right. and that is like specific to the Southern, um, the Southeastern United States. And I think the actual nut is called a mocker nut. No, that ain't right. I don't, I don't know. like any of this. I don't like any of this, Millie. I know it's very strange, but I, I was like something I was, I was like, is somebody throwing rocks at the house? Cause they, yeah. it's a huge sound. And then what would happen is I would hear it clang on the um, roof. And then it, I heard it roll off the side of the house. And I was like, okay, uh, somebody's uh. throwing like actual golf balls or something. And then when I went out there all on the deck and in the yard are these truly like these golf ball sized green nuts that are just all over the yard. And I'm like, oh, it's coming from that big ass tree. That's literally above the house. So can you smoke with like, you know, hickory smoked things? Can you like smoke with them? Get a big <laughs> smoker. See, I I listen, there's probably some mocker nut fucking expert <laughs> that's listening right now. That's going to get into our DMS and tell us exactly how to fucking prepare this thing. Um, I don't think it's you're poisonous. Not doing any of it. <laughs> I think it's really just like squirrel food. I don't know if people actually eat them. I think it's great that you're you're supporting the local ecosystem. <laughs> but I also guarantee if you go on on Pinterest and look up like hickory nut or mocker nut, you're going to be able to make a wreath and sell it for like eight hundred dollars to somebody. Listen, Side biz. I do have a glue gun. <laughs> I do know how to spray paint shit white. Side biz, a mocker nut wreath for everyone for Christmas. I'm going to be like motherfucking Magnolia Company pretty soon. It's going to be That's like what I'm talking about. Like, listen, she ain't the only half Asian in the game right now <laughs> in the fucking home 
craft game. I got nuts. <laughs> I got, Listen, I got I'll a, be spray painting these nuts. <laughs> Just because she found a fucking hunky ginger hottie to marry and I didn't. <laughs> well, okay. Now that we're talking about nuts, uh, I want an update on the craziness with the house and oh, the groundhogs. All right. Listen, Chauncey has been evicted. Chauncey and all of his groundhog family have been evicted. And here's why. I had a wildlife exterminator come to the house because I kept hearing shit in the walls and under the floors and like, you know, all the, and the, listening to them party in the mosh pit under my porch. So I had a wildlife exterminator and this guy is it, this is he's his own entire story. He is wild. He is the wildest person I've ever met in the world. <laughs> is he like a Tiger King type? No, no? he's like he's very like. um He's very cool and friendly and funny and just like he belongs outside. He's the kind of person like you cannot picture him inside. Like he had to come inside the house to do an inspection. And I thought he was going to like jump out of his skin. Like I'm sure he like sleeps on a pile of rocks in a field. Like he's that kind of guy where he's like, I am one with nature. Swimming naked in the in the river and totally. shit and lives outside. Totally. Totally. So totally. he and his personal story is wild. He is hilarious. I am so grateful to him because he's the reason I found out the sound under my floorboards, groundhogs. The sound in my walls, bats. Essentially, Chauncey and his family had been tunneling in this property for so long he said he'd never seen anything like it. He's like, they must have been here for like 15, 20 years, setting up an infrastructure under my goddamn yard. What? Those motherfuckers tunneled from the back of the yard, which is three acres away, under the house, under the foundation, under the house, and into the goddamn garage. I saw Chauncey in my fucking garage, and I was like, what are you doing here? I'm trying to take my garbage out. And he was like, nope. And he kind of waddled away out of a big old hole and then went under the garage and down the back of the yard. These motherfuckers are organized. It is like a Tet Offensive in here of groundhog shit. They have (laughs) destroyed my... chewing on this house and yard for so long and it was thousands of dollars of damage remember the other the other week when i'm like i got some news that i don't want to talk about oh i remember this is the news this is the news they have done thousands of dollars of damage and it was going to cost thousands of dollars to get them out of my fucking face so now you've realized that chauncey and his wife are essentially the chip and joanna Gaines. Of your fucking yard. They were Groundhog Magnolia all under this shit. (laughs) I want to know. I mean, maybe we got to get this wildlife guy on the pod because I want to know what kind of shit that they were building down there. Do they got like little areas for like, you know, eating and sleeping and taking dumps? Do they take dumps underground? I don't know anything about groundhogs. I didn't know anything about them. He drew me a full diagram because I was like, what is the purpose of the groundhog? First of all. In the in the world, like in the ecosystem, what Uh do they do? And he's like, they are food. And I was like, okay, great. How do they work? How does a groundhog work? Yeah. Apparently everything's underground. So they'll tunnel underground. And the first little hole they dig, the little pit stop, they feather it with grass and leaves and shit. And that's where they where they shit and piss. And then they tunnel over to a sleeping area and then they tunnel an emergency exit. They're super (gasps) smart and creepy as fuck. And they were all over the place. So I'm not fucking around i'm actually no. kind of saying they built 
a whole abode under there. It was like Waterworld under there. Like they were just like, we are chartering <sighs> new territories. Yeah. And the barn. And the, I mean, all he's like, I don't he's like, I've never seen a groundhog move more than five feet. These motherfuckers have moved the length of your house and property. <laughs> I mean, this is fucking crazy, man. Generations. So I gave him some money and I'm like, please get them out of here. And he did. He had to put a bat cone in the attic. He had to patch up and and kind of put an exclusion net kind of thing around the whole porch so they couldn't get in anymore. He did that all around the fucking house. And he also told me as he was doing the inspection, I was like, oh, and here's my silo. I'm going to turn it into my office. And without missing a beat, he goes, that thing's full of raccoon piss. You're never going to get the smell out. You can't you can't get it. You can't be in there. Like, you wow. Environmentally cannot use that building for anything. And I was like, cool, here's some more money. I have spent so much money. <laughs> and then whenever people are like, groundhogs are cute. Great. Bring them to your house because they chewed this house the fuck up. Wow. Chauncey and his family got the boot i mean who knows where they're at now they're probably chewing someone else's house they're probably chewing someone else's house okay so they're probably on the other side of town trying to figure out what the area is like over there how do they not come back to your house if they've moved to another town i think he genuinely had to bring them to like two or three towns away <laughs> <laughs> like he relocated them like they were in the military he was like, you got to go. You better hope those kids are like, daddy, I want to see where we grew up or whatever. And then they're like, let's scoot it on back to the, you know, <laughs> pack your bindles. No visiting. We are not doing any kind of like no Hulk walks back with the Bruce Banner music. Absolutely not. Yeah. Get on. At, and here's the here's how I know that they were fucking savages. Every other animal on this property has been partying since they left. The deer are out there all day. The fucking squirrels, the birds. I saw like four different spe new species of birds out in the trees. Everyone is partying because they're like, Chauncey's gone. Wow. Because wow. he was a savage. I told you I heard him fighting chipmunks and squirrels and shit under the porch. He's he was a mess. So it was like a liberation for these animals. Yeah. They were like fucking ding dong. The witch is dead. Get this motherfucker out of here. So we can thrive. This is truly the one thing I have to say. I, I planned so much for buying a house and I'm like, let me budget this. Let me do that. Shit's going to happen. Shit's going to get real. Never in my life would I have thought I have to have a groundhog budget. <laughs> Fuck all of that. <laughs> a groundhog budget, not just to, to get them out. I would understand if it's like, oh, I want some groundhogs on my property. I'm going to ship some in. No. I'm paying to evict these motherfuckers. And now I'm spending the rest of my summer filling holes all over my yard. Mm, mm, mm. Welcome to homeownership. If you see one groundhog, take him out. Take him. Don't <laughs> wait for the don't wait for them to to have babies. Don't wait for them to fucking settle in. Just take them out. <laughs> they got to go. Listen, drive, drive those motherfuckers to Nebraska or wherever. Thank if you, you live in Nebraska, drive them to North Dakota. I don't know what to you know tell those you. islands where it's like uh, like there's some places in Asia where it's like, oh, this whole island has been taken over by cats that but for groundhogs. Yes. Let them have their own fucking island. They would be chill. Put them at, like, there's some lakes in Michigan and Wisconsin that just have little islands. Put all the groundhogs. there. That's right. Put them all there. 
I mean, you and I both, we've we, we've driven across the country many times in our lives. We know there's a lot of space for groundhogs if they want it. They could have a whole new life. They could go out to fucking New Mexico, go out to, you know, wherever, um, you know, where they set off the nuclear bombs and shit. Let them fucking hang out there. Like, Let them fucking tunnel for NASA. <laughs> like, let them do something important. Let them tunnel and like find some turquoise that yeah. we can use for rings. Like you'd have a great a great life in in New Mexico if you're a groundhog. Have a whole new experience. I mean, Ugh. listen, I know we're going to get some groundhog defenders in our DMs. We just do. I just know our DMs. Yeah. But and, I, and I'm going to have the same response. Take them to your house. You're welcome to them. <laughs> you can have mine. You can simply I, have mine. I had to find out what a bat cone was this week and I've had enough. So get <laughs> them out of here. <laughs> have them. Have them. Yeah. Good Lord. I know. This is why I was like, I can't even talk about it. It took me two weeks to process what was happening. Like how I live now. This is how I live now. Well, I don't even know how to transition to a mailbag after this. I mean, this is just like, I think we just got to go. We just got to do it because (laughs) it's like, we need the levity. We need the lightness. We only do mailbags now on the show when we have some fun ones. Yeah. And something that, you know, we can actually something meaty that we can dig into uh, and we have just such an email. We do, man. Are you going to read it? Because yeah. now I can't find it. I'm too flummoxed it. by the bat cone. I know. Th- welcome to my last two weeks. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? What is this? <laughs> what does this trap look like? A bat? What? Yeah, that thing I heard in my walls was a bat. It sounded like a human being. It was a bat. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Bats are good, though. They're like good. Whereas, I mean, listen, I, again, I'm going to bash a groundhog and I don't fucking care at this point, but at least with bats, you know what they're good for environmentally with a groundhog TBD, right? Groundhog's just food, but also welcome to everyone I've talked to in town where they're like, you know, I have a couple friends here and I'm like, oh, I got bats and like bats are fine. And I'm like, again, bring them to your house because hearing a bat stomp through your walls like it's a fucking <laughs> On a drum line is not where I'm about. <laughs> a drum line. It's not what I'm about. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, this email has nothing to do with bats. Thank God. Or groundhogs. Just a lovely letter from a lovely listener. Ooh, let's hear it. All right. Hi, Millie and Danielle. First off, thank you for making this podcast. I'm probably one of your younger listeners, but I love listening to you guys talk about the 1990s. I just heard the episode about Juliette Lewis being the 90s foremost murderous girlfriend, and it was so interesting. (laughs) I was fairly young when these movies came out, I promise, not a brag, and it got me wondering (laughs) if there were other 90s stars who'd fall into this specific category. Maybe actors who were always cool and alternative in every movie they were in in the 1990s, or maybe actors you would consider as those who define the 90s. Would also love some movie recommendations for them, too. Thanks for being our esteemed queens, Joey. And Joey uses she and her pronouns. Mmm, Joey, Joey, Joey. Thank you for this great question. Joey, baby. As a concrete blonde, (laughs) gotta go there. You can't just leave it sitting there. When you hear a Joey, you can't just let it sit there. I mean, she says that she's young. Um, yes, not and a brag. it's not a brag. So thank you, because I was going to fucking call you out on that. Joey, <laughs> we, can, look, we can't help when people were born. I was going to be like, oh, really? You were like two years old when fucking natural born killers came out. We can't help when people were born. We're yes. not going to be that podcast. <laughs> we are bitter middle aged women, right? 
<laughs> we can't believe you had the nerve to be born after us. But we also, in true form, yes, decided that we couldn't just rest on our own laurels here to answer this question. So we had to bring in the heavy hitter. We had to bring in the font of knowledge. We had to bring in our friend, comedian, podcaster, all around incredible person, Shalewa Sharp. Hello. Hi. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Look, look, we got a lot to cover and not a lot of time. So let's just get into it. <laughs> yes, I like this energy. First of all, were the groundhogs and the bats in cahoots? Like, <laughs> yeah, is that so. what was happening? Look, I, I understand your pain um, because I have lived in three separate places where squirrels have eaten their way into the building. So no. I'm very anti-squirrel. So to know that the groundhog was fighting a squirrel at first was just like, yeah. But then I'm like, oh, no, but you have a whole like hobbit hole. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't I don't like there being a groundhog Middle Earth situation. But <laughs> um that is wild. I'm glad you're still with us and they didn't just take over. Um, I hope you. there's not a groundhog mafia. Uh, I would hate to think of like four groundhogs like rolling through on like a golf cart, just like a nice farm you got here. I definitely don't feel safe. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there are definitely know. other farms in the area where I think the word has gotten out that like someone hasn't made their drop for this week. So, <laughs> so yeah. Oh, good Lord. Um, uh, uh, also, hey, y'all, how you doing? Hey. Hi. Hi. It's so good to see you. <laughs> it's, uh, we've been wanting you on the pod for so long because, I mean, I, you and I, Shalewa, we go back way back. Like, we've known each other for a very long time. We go way back. Absolutely. But, um, you know, collectively, the three of us, every time... I think it was like you guys were both living in New York and then I would just come visit and I'm like, guess what? We're all going out to dinner at some like yep. shitty fucking steakhouse or whatever. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> and it was always like, uh, I have many pictures of the three of us eating really fanciful steakhouse desserts. Like yes. where yes. they take the like, um, you know, what is it? The chocolate syrup and they do like a fucking design and they stick like a thing, Love like it. a jagged piece of chocolate in it and stuff. Like, <laughs> Right. Yes, absolutely. We are uh, we are queens of the. Uh, well, let's let's give that a shot. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds that? good. Let's try let's it. That. Why yeah, not? absolutely. That's us. <laughs> but but also, too, it's perfect that you are here for this question, because I mean, this is actually a cool question because it's like a thought experiment that mm -hmm. um, I think that you could probably speak to. Right. OK. Yeah. 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 Perhaps. Because I was th I was thinking about it just on my own and I was kind of like, yeah, who are these actors like Juliette Lewis, I think, is like obviously the example we use because she was in sort of the same kind of movie over and over again. Right. Um, right. But then there's also sort of like alternative or kind of like cool actors from the era. Like, you know, obviously you think about people like Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. It's like those are, that's kind of like the prom right. king and queen. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But um. I was thinking about like people like maybe like Tim Roth or something. I don't know. Like what, what are you, what do you think about this? Okay. So uh, Tim Roth would be a good one as like a, someone who came in. I mean, when you look back at him, he looks very young, right? When you yes. look back at these movies, which is a thing that I've been doing uh, during these COVIDian times is like revisiting nineties movies just to see if they hold up. 
the try and trick my um, roommate, who's considerably younger than I am, into watching them <laughs> so that he can impress no one um, <laughs> with this. Just so he can know his histories. That never hurts. Never hurts. You need to know what came before <laughs> A24, you know, like that kind of thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, and uh, so I've been revisiting. Yeah, Tim Roth is definitely he was um, like craggy and training right he's very yes! smooth skinned, but yes! you saw it you saw it in his eyes right you saw you saw it in his eyes you're like look at that nose you can't have that nose and not be a good actor right also <laughs> british craggy british craggy is a whole different level it's a yes. different yeah it's a totally different thing so you know he already had that going for him uh you know i feel like uh uh steve buscemi also was yeah. just like yep you know there it was a pri it, we really were looking for the most funny looking like <laughs> folks i feel like yeah. uh no shade to those people i love all of those actors but yeah um the one that i immediately thought of uh is just to me the queen she's the god uh g-a-w-d god yes um <laughs> and that is and i feel like you could say it with me Parker Posey, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So she's like um the uh, the mean girl who could be nice if you caught her at the right time. Yes. You know, you, you know what I mean? If she totally. got a little if she got a little bit of bad news or something, maybe she'd be nice to you, but please believe the next day she's back to being mean to you. But you know that there's softness underneath, perhaps, or that her parents separated young, or that you know what I <laughs> yes. mean? Like you accidentally came in on her while she was talking crying with her guidance counselor, and now you know too much. But you also know <laughs> That you can't use it against her because she will destroy you. And there's a sense of that in every role I think that she's played, whether it was high school based or not. Yeah, so so true. I'm, I'm big on Parker Posey. Yeah, I feel like Party Girl is like to be one of the quintessential movies about New York. Like it's just that whole era of like the DJ scene and her, mm -hmm. like just her whole, like she ushered in like this entire lexicon of stuff that people say like all the time, like the yeah. falafel, like the, her whole speech with the falafel and Baba Ganoush and all that stuff. <laughs> and like, it's a party, God damn it. Like all these things. But it was that thing for me where I was like, it made me want to like live in New York and go and see, you know, house DJs and mm -hmm. date Leah Schreiber, who we've talked about before <laughs> uh, on this podcast. But yeah, she, and she's that to me is that role, that 90s, perfect 90s role of hers. And you she know? also does those kind of strange like House of Yes style. Oh, movies. Yes. I just watched House of Yes. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to hold up but it does it's yeah. still very funny and her delivery of lines is just like pitch perfect still yeah and i i really hadn't seen it in a while and i don't even know what got me to i think i was just like i'm cycling through all of these i watched that i watched um clock watchers yeah. which is really good i mm -hmm. watched, yeah and um that one holds up well and she's still doing the same thing the first time i saw her was actually on uh one of my uh one of my stories one of my soaps <laughs> <laughs> uh as the world turns she was she on, was on a soap yeah she was on as the world turns and you know she started out as just like a um a young 
girl who's dating someone, maybe Holden. I don't know. Anyone who's extremely old and also remembers As the World Turns, and I know you're out there, you'll know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, and then as she was doing it, she was on there for a, a few years. And as she kept going, she got weirder with how she delivered it so everyone like she is, was everyone else was in as the world turns and she was in passions she was doing yeah. something else right. so she was just like like wide-eyed and just like is how she's <laughs> delivering these lines and i'm like who is this broad what is she doing i'm loving it because no one everyone just has to continue to act like they are on a soap opera and she is totally out there i'm into it but what is happening so then when i saw her appear in a movie i'm like well let's see if she can actually act or what's going on and <laughs> like what is happening so yeah. i'm so uh yeah and then she just you know got weirder and weirder she's you know mean and um what's the uh richard link letter oh dazed and confused you know oh, yeah she's the queen of God. the mean girls and totally totally yeah and just plays it very well where she's mean but you still want to be friends with her yes and i yes. think that might be because she's a brunette no shade to br to blondes but i feel like ah. when you're blonde and you're mean you're just like well that's too much yeah. i don't ah. like i don't want to do that but when you're a brunette and you're mean you're like well what's going on there what made you turn <laughs> to the dark side <laughs> Why are you doing that? That's not what you're supposed to. That's what the blunt, but you're not supposed to do that. And again, no shade to any listeners who are either. I'm both. Oh thanks to <laughs> <laughs> thanks to be bleach and boredom. I'm both. So, yeah. but you know. <laughs> so if we were going to say Parker Posey was the '90s foremost blank, what would we say mm. about her? Ooh, oh, oh, I guess she'd be, oh man. Was she like the four, she, because it's not like, Mean Girl isn't enough no, to describe, right. but it's like weird doesn't also do it. I feel like the 90s foremost, like a uh, divorced kid or like you were saying or, earlier, like yeah. something like that. And also, I mean, what she has grown into is so exactly what you would think from the way that she was acting. Yes. Um, so I almost want to say like, foremost young um well i don't know spinster is too hard because i mean she gets <laughs> hers right she's not by herself out here but <laughs> you, you know just like like the 90s foremost art um, patron patron yeah. of the arts yes, patron exactly. of the arts yeah there we go there we go <laughs> yeah because the I love that she's a character actor because that's essentially what she was or what yes. she is. She yeah. still acts. She didn't die. I don't know why right. I said was. Um, <laughs> but also, too, like she definitely embodies a city person. Like she kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, when you see pictures of old ladies like leaving Lincoln Center or something, you know what I mean? Like, and they're wearing the crazy outfits and all that stuff. She just is really that to me. Like she. I think patron of the arts is like perfect. <laughs> That's basically what she's kind of become is just, yeah. you know, this woman in uh, just slightly wild clothing, uh, you know, always everything she's looking for is at the bottom of her tote bag. And, <laughs> and, you know, and she's got, you know, like a mean dog. And she's just like, this is who I am and who I've always been. Uh, uh, <laughs> while still being able to be other characters, there's just that thread of yeah. like, this is who I am and who I've always been like throughout all of them. 
So you can still connect them even when she's, you know, playing someone that you'd never expect. There's still like a sense of like, yeah, but you know, after this, I am just going to go home to my uh, apartment and probably just eat tuna out of the can because it's yeah. cleaner. Isn't she originally from like somewhere in Louisiana yeah, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, she's that definitely. That might explain a little mm-hmm. bit, I have to yeah. say. Maybe she's like, a, she's like just a quiet, you know how we, you know how we love a Southern Gothic. We you love know it. how we, you know how we love a, the ATL girls. We love a Southern Gothic. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> Acidified Southern Gothic. We love it. Yeah. So she's basically a Tennessee Williams character that moves to New York, and yes. that's what happened, right? Yeah, yeah, that's basically what happened. <laughs> that's such a good pick. Oh, I love that. So Perfect. good. I was also I was trying to think of another one when um, we read this question, and I think I wonder if Amanda Plummer qualifies in this. Category. I think you know again another great character actor. Yeah, who was in a lot of the same kind of roles in the nineties, right? Yeah, like like, so I married an axe murderer, Pulp Fiction, kind of the same character. (laughs) Yeah, she's like always playing kind of an unhinged, like murderous girlfriend really or kind of a murderous person. She was on ER for a long time playing someone's sister. Uh, yeah, and yeah. She was slightly uh, who was slightly off and uh and yeah i also yeah. love i just love that like someone who is christopher Plummer's child is like oh yes you be your traditional stage and screen heartthrob i'm going to be as weird as possible <laughs> that's <Dad>. like <laughs> that's the only way right that's the only way that you can rebel against your parents is to <laughs> like yes. i'll go in the family business but i'm making watches this way you know yeah. <laughs> i love that she is she and parker posey also just have such distinctive looks yeah. Like when I see yes. when I say Amanda Plummer, I can see her in my head. She has such a distinctive look, and I just think that's fucking great for an actor. Um, but she's she's a wild one. She's played some hilarious and wonderful roles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh man, I hope she's doing all right. Also, um, who's the guy? And I always forget his name. Um, Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. Come on, man. It wasn't a 90s movie unless that dude walked through. Listen. You knew you weren't you weren't. And once I saw once I saw his name on anything, I was like, sit back. We good. We're good. We're in Kevin Corrigan's hands. We all right. We gonna be we gonna be all right. We we talked about him. In what early episode for us when we yeah. talked about walking and talking because yeah, he plays yeah, yeah. the the Catherine Keene or the the video store boyfriend. Yep. And I went on record with my obsession with Kevin Corrigan and how I kind of <laughs> think he's hot in spite of the creepy roles that he plays over <laughs> and over again. I feel like someone gave him a pair of like aviator glasses and just said, "And this is your lot in life. Like this is what you gotta." <laughs> You got to be the dude in these aviator glasses and and just kind of be creepy for a while. But have you seen him recently? He used to do like a like a talk show, um, like a yeah. live talk show around New York. And I caught one once and um, he, you know, he hosts and he has people on. And the one that I saw, Janine Garofalo was on it. And it was literally like the most 90s. Like uh. my 90s child was just like, oh, my God. It, I was so happy. I don't even remember what was said. Ugh. I just remember just being in heaven. 
You were just wow. humming the humming the theme to like singled out and like yeah, just, <laughs> it was so much it was too much almost. It was overload. But yeah, and I'm like, I'm in the same room with this dude. I never thought that would happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I went to one of those as well with um oh god, what's her name? From Heavenly Creatures. Melanie, what's her face? Linsky. Yes, oh, thank you. Okay. Melanie yeah. Linsky was the guest, and they were they were old friends chatting, and it was very fun. Yeah, Ugh. that's great. They should have given look. They should have given him Arsenio slot, and we know it. <laughs> this is the best. I could do this all day. It's so great to I see. Definitely, I'm so thankful for your suggestions. You got to come back. We've got so much more to ask you. We didn't even ask you anything about music. <laughs> <laughs> or comedy yeah, or anything no, else you don't, we don't want that you guys you, you got to keep a tight ship i saw it when i got the invitation in the directions and it was like you guys are going to talk for about 20 minutes i was like ha, ha, <laughs> i know that's adorable <laughs> that's adorable we've Have gone out us? <laughs> yeah we've gone out for steak together keep it under 20 i dare you i dare you i don't think we've ever had a meal that's under three hours <laughs> Yeah, we knew we knew that was happening. We've we've never all congregated and and had it been a less than a four hour experience. Yeah. Even if we're just like, let's just go to the park for a walk. We're walking for four hours. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> In circles. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you so much. Do you want to promote anything or tell us anything that's coming up? I know you're doing shows again, which is so exciting. Your yeah. podcast is the best. The War Report. Yeah. I love that is like um, my daily news, basically. Yeah, I don't listen to news anymore. Like that I is only listen to you and Gastor talk about news to me. That's what oh, I use. Oh, thank you. For. We really have a good time doing it. He's a uh, he's a great dude, a great family man, uh, a great Brooklyn family man, which is <laughs> wild. Um, and so I like talking to him about his horrible cockamamie ideas. And um, yeah, I'm just kind of floating around New York doing uh, shows where I can. Uh, behind a couple of masks and a microphone cover. And, um, and, you know, I'm not sure if I'm making anyone laugh, but honestly, I'm okay if they don't. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess I've got an album. I've got a couple of albums, one called Stay Eating Cookies. Yes, uh, the best one called So You Just Out Here. That um, is the best title. Truly <laughs> the when best I title. I recommend this to people. I'm like, here is what it's called. It's called So You Just Out Here. And everyone falls out. And it's like, and yes, I will buy it. the cover of it is like, it looks like an old Christian country singer album yep. from yes, like the absolutely. 70s. Yeah. It's so yeah. Good. Well, just me clutching on to the Lord and this tree as hard as possible. So You Just Out Oh my god! Oh, it's so it's wonderful to listen to. It's so so hilarious. I it's almost it's usually one of the first things that comes on um, in my car. I don't know why, like wherever it falls in my Apple playlist or whatever. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. like I'm in my car and there's Shalewa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so great. I love I love this podcast so much. I listen to it constantly. I listen over and over. Oh, you guys god. like actually like kicked me into watching movies again because i forgot that i enjoyed them and Aww. so so That's i sweet. truly appreciate it uh and i just love hearing you too it really i'm just like listen to my friends talking listen Aww. to all the stuff they're doing i'm so excited for you guys That's so is, great i'm thrilled to have done this oh thanks for coming on and thank you joey for writing in with that awesome yes. question yeah hopefully yeah. you have movie recommendations and wikipedia holes to fall into with all of those suggestions so so many movies so many movies 
Okay, so we have a really fucking funny theme this week. (laughs) I'm so excited by this. I'm so excited. (laughs) I love this theme. What is the theme? We're going to have to revisit this because our theme this week is baby girl, what is you doing? (laughs) I repeat, our theme this week is baby girl, what is you doing? (laughs) Now, okay, this when you pitched this, I could not stop laughing. I was like, I think I understand what's happening, but I don't even care if I don't know what the theme is. The name alone is perfect <laughs> and evokes so much. Right. And I think I think what we were going for when, when I pitched it, I think what I was going for was just movies that fe- that feature characters who are actively making bad decisions or outright mistakes. Yes. That are propelling the narrative. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, too. And I actually think when we came together and decided the films that we wanted to pick, they were kind of perfect. They don't really have a lot to do with each other. And they're definitely like, you know, decades apart. But like they both kind of fit the theme perfectly. And they're kind of they kind of have some similarities, which we love. We love when that happens, right? Total accidental bookends, which is my favorite kind of bookend. What I love too, and just to go back to like the idea of this being a week about poor choices, right? Both of these movies, I think are about people who are reflecting back on like their past lives or former selves, right? And their poor choice is informed by that, right? Yes. In fascinating ways, the way that both, the way that each movie gets to that realization, they're very different, the very disparate ways that they get there, but it is so cool the way they're using that, that, kind of using the past to propel some of the the action um, that we're seeing result in these really weird decisions. In the, yes. In the yes. Day. And I love that we've got a queer director and a female director. Mm-hmm. That's a, always great when that happens in the same week. And I will say your film, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the director that you're going to talk about today. I had not seen this film and I loved it so much. I can literally not wait to talk about it. Well, I can't wait to talk about yours because this is another first for this week. I never saw your movie. Wow. We stumped each other. We stumped each other. Oh, my God. We need like some kind of air horn sound or something. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) Annalise, Ah, air horn. (laughs) Do whatever you got to (laughs) do. Cats meowing, dogs barking. <laughs> we need a jock jams um, little segue. But um, so, are you going first this week? Who's going first? No, you're going first this week. Are you joking? Every time I ask that question, I'm truly surprised by your answer. It is my favorite thing. <laughs> well, okay, now I'm ready. So, um. my movie for the theme of baby girl what is you doing is a movie from 1979 it was written by paul and leonard schrader and it was directed by joan tewksbury it's called old boyfriends 
first started thinking about my old boyfriends about two months ago. I wish I knew how it started, but once it started, I couldn't stop it. I think it was around my birthday. I began reading my old diaries again, over and over. I read about my parents and teachers, but mostly I read about old boyfriends. Old boyfriends! Oh, God. <laughs> the dance that just went with that theme song. Old <laughs> <laughs> <The best laughs> boyfriends! <laughs> Why isn't the theme song just me singing that? Um, so, okay. <laughs> we did talk about this movie. Okay. So, so up front, I actually just want to talk about why I picked this movie for the theme. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because honestly, I mean, it was for me, it was, I, it was the first movie I thought of. And I, and I actually am not really sure why. Um, because there are tons of movies about people making bad choices. Like we know this. In fact, perhaps cinema itself is propped up on the notion of people making bad choices, right? Like that's what all movies are about. But I think I wanted to talk about old boyfriends for a couple of different reasons. But one is the idea that this movie is about somebody who wants to understand themselves through the people that they dated. Yes. Which only seems bad to me for some reason. Like, oh, it is the darkest <laughs> timeline version of High Fidelity before <laughs> High Fidelity. Exactly. Like, in fact, a lot of people have joked that this movie is like the female version of High Fidelity, which it's like, OK, yes. I mean, it's the same premise, even though it's a completely different setup. But when it comes down to it, I think the idea of basically being like, who am I? Let me go backwards and think about everybody I dated. It just seems like this is something you would like just talk about in therapy and then like leave it there. Like, don't yes. do anything with that <laughs> in real life. Especially because depending on the time frame you're going back to, the answer is always going to be, oh, it's because I was an idiot back then. Yes, exactly. Like, I wasn't fully developed. I didn't have my, any kind of emotional, <laughs> well, skills, and I didn't have any kind of notion of what love really was. Like, that is the bottom line with most relationships. I say up to like... Let's see. I'm 44 up to 43. Yeah. I mean, listen, this movie wouldn't exist, of course, if she didn't do this. Right. <laughs> but I'm just I want to just say up front, I'm of the opinion that, you know, I understand nostalgia is a very powerful motivator. And, you know, who doesn't love like a nice surprise in case like you decided, hey, let me go and see what my high school sweetheart's doing. Oops, we got married and had like 10 kids or whatever. Um but to me, it feels like romantic closure is maybe overrated. Oh, and it's also non-existent. I don't I truly don't think it exists. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that, but yeah. I don't I'm not very succinct about it. Yeah. Um, like I haven't, haven't really thought it through too much, but I don't think it exists. Yeah. I don't think because you cannot get closure with the person who either you hurt or who hurt you. And that's what you need for closure. Like there's never going to be any quality of uh, emotions in that setup. When you got, when you were effectively two completely different people than you are now, right? So that's yes. it seems a little like it's like a fool's errand or something. But this movie wouldn't exist if she didn't go on that fool's errand. So let me just give you a one sentence synopsis of old boyfriends. Okay. 
A psychologist living in Los Angeles seeks clarity after a recent divorce and decides to go on a cross-country road trip to track down all the guys she dated. Beautiful synopsis. Okay. Beautiful synopsis. So that's exactly what we just talked about, is that here we go on this quest, this epic quest slash fool's errand. Let's, it's like a little TBD, right? Now... You know, we talked about this high fidelity thing before, because as you've probably know, if you've read the book or seen the movie or whatever, like, you know, it's the plot line of somebody going back to visit old, old flames. Right. Um, But, you know, this movie on its own, too, has this really kind of interesting production history, which I actually think ultimately affected the movie that it became, Um, which I'll get into in just a second. But, you know, I actually think, too, though. We've seen this a lot. We've seen um, and we've talked about movies that um, were kind of like it was tumultuous on set. Like the writers and the directors are fighting or the producers are changing things or whatever. You know, this happens a lot in movies, as we know. But sometimes the finished product, even if it doesn't come out to like everybody's exact standards, um, I think it still kind of can be like an interesting text. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of what I feel about this movie. Um, It just provokes a lot of thoughts in me, which, you know, like I said, I'll get into in a moment. But all right. So right off the bat, this film was directed by Joan Tewksbury. It was written by Paul Schrader and his brother, Leonard. We've talked about Paul Schrader before, definitely in the episode about American Gigolo. And when he and his brother, Leonard, originally wrote the script, it was actually about a man And if you know Paul Schrader's work, you can only imagine the man that this story would have been about, right? And when they gave it to Joan Tewksbury to direct, they decided it should be about a woman because at the time that this movie was made in the 70s, you know, women's pictures, quote unquote, were kind of having a moment because of the women's liberation movement. So as you can imagine... Their original script was a lot darker and played up the revenge angle a lot more. Like Paul Schrader basically wanted it to be a horror movie. Wow. And Joan Tewksbury basically took out a lot of those elements and made it kind of more contemplative and tried to make it more about the lead character's inner life, which is an interesting choice, obviously. Um, and just a little bit about Joan Tewksbury, too. Like, she was a screenwriter before she directed Old Boyfriends, which was the first and only movie that she directed. So she was she was a one and done, one hit wonder. Wow. She basically studied film while being on set with Robert Altman. And she wrote two Robert Altman movies. She wrote Thieves Like Us, which is Shelley Duvall and Keith Carradine. And then arguably one of Robert Altman's most famous films, Nashville. And she had a lot of momentum because she was so successful with Nashville, especially, and, you know, got to make this movie. But then, you know, considering that Paul Schrader was involved and he was already like a very famous person by this time and had done his own screenwriting, you know, it just got a little complicated. And because she was a woman in the industry, I mean, just because she was attached to Robert Altman, it doesn't necessarily mean that she got to like have the creative freedom that Robert Altman had, or even people who were also under his tutelage, like, you know, Alan Rudolph and whomever, like she just, you know, didn't have that moment where she got to like 
write and direct her own way. And, um, you know, we'll definitely talk about that towards the end. But the beats of old boyfriends goes a little something like this. So Talia Shire of the Godfather and Rocky movies and Jason Schwartzman and Robert Schwartzman's mom. Don't know if you guys knew that, but that's true. She plays a woman named Diane Cruz in this movie. Now, okay, the first scene of this movie suggests that Diane was married and now Crank calls her ex-husband and his new wife while looking at old pictures of their wedding. Yes. Okay. So maybe Diane is not in a good place right now. Just saying. (laughs) She crank calls, puts on a record and crank calls. That's like old timey crank calls. They're like, let me crank up the old Victrola and pop on a record, move the needle, dial the number, and then put the receiver next to the speaker. Like she was really putting some energy into it. And on top of this, like Diana's reading her old diary from when she was like a young person and then decides, hey, maybe it's a good idea for me to go track down and visit these three guys that I dated in various points of my life. Like one is from like seventh grade or something. One is like a high school boyfriend. And then the the last one is kind of like a person she dated in her 20s. Maybe I'm I'm assuming Yeah, in college. Yeah. And she says she actually says, I thought if I could find out who I was, then I might find out who I am now, which baby girl, what is you doing? What is you doing? Not, not. please do not do this, but she does. So she, she first meets up with Jeff, who is played by the actor, Richard Jordan, who, by the way, is the cop in one of the best movies of the seventies, the friends of Eddie Coyle go watch it. Robert Mitchum. It's fucking great. Great noir, but he's the cop in that movie. Um, and Jeff is like her 20 something year old, old boyfriend, right? He's a director. He's divorced that had, and he has a teenage daughter with his ex-wife. And so Diane like basically goes to visit him while he's working on set, which is horrifying. I can't even imagine. Um, And Diane spends a few days with him. She like meets his daughter and like they're kind of like reconnecting and they and they actually discuss like kind of getting back together. And then she just fucking leaves. She checks out of her hotel and he doesn't even know. And also part of the, the baby girl, what is you doing for me with this particular boyfriend? When they first meet up in that bar. He's kind of like post work, you know, hanging out with his friends after work and yes. his crew after work. And he's like, do I know you? And she's like, yeah, you proposed to me three times. If you propose to someone three times and cannot even remember their face because they got a haircut. Girl, what is you doing? Get in your car and go home. The charade is off. Everything is off. Turn it. Shut it down. No yes. need to visit another boyfriend. Yes. Your deepest love doesn't know your face. And he proposed to you three times. Abort mission. When Abort somebody mission. is literally s- sitting within a foot of your face and can't recognize you from when he proposed to you three fucking times. Not too long ago, by the way, this wasn't the seventh grade boyfriend. This was the like adult boyfriend. So I'm already yeah. like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> why, why even continue on this quest? Because it's already been bad. 
<laughs> yeah, that would have been it for me. I would have been like, I'm sorry, we were engaged and you don't know my face. Back to L.A. we go. I'll find a new new a new way into this this introspective thought. Exactly. And so, you know, he goes to the hotel that she's staying in the next day and she's fucking gone. And she go, he goes up to the counter and he's basically like, yo, where is she? And they're like, she paid cash. She is out of here. <laughs> um, so she's out the door with Jeff and then is dashing over to visit the second boyfriend named Eric who was played oh. by John Belushi. We got to talk about this. We have to talk about this because, okay, let's talk about Eric. He's living in the same town. He owns a formal wear store and he plays in like a band, a cover band for proms and nightclubs and what have you. Okay. And he is just who you would expect. Okay. He's an asshole from high school, just a real fucking pig. Apparently they dated in high school and he basically humiliated her in front of a bunch of his friends for like not having sex with him. And John Belushi is playing him, right? Which, you know, it's sort of like, okay, you've got this guy who definitely knows how to sing blues covers, which is what he does in a lot of his scenes in the movie. With Um, Cowbell. With Cowbell. With Cowbell. And, you know, he's basically like, yeah, baby, let's hang out. Like, come to my... He basically... Okay, she comes up with this scheme to get him to deliver a formal dress to her and her hotel room just so she can initially reunite with him. Okay. And he comes in, he realizes it's her. And then of course, what does he do? He's like, Hey, come see my fucking band play tonight. No, <laughs> because of two, course I would have been in my car, but like, you know what? This actually is not working. It wasn't me at all. It's these guys. I've got my answer. Jeff and Eric enough. Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, is the biggest red flag in the world when you're trying to have like a serious conversation with someone and then they just tell you, hey, just come see my band play. That's that's how we'll reconnect. That's how we'll talk is coming to see my band play in a fucking crowded bar. And she had some real shit to talk to him about, like, hey, you sexually assaulted me and exactly. lied about it. And. I have some shit to say that I can't say while you're playing. Don't fear the Reaper. (laughs) As you're covering Tush by a ZZ Top, let's discuss the sexual assault that occurred in high school. But here's the interesting thing, because she actually does go see his fucking band play. Right. Which I'm like, again, why are we doing this? Baby girl, what is you doing? But she does it anyway. And then. She sets up this entire scenario where she she like coerces him to go back to like the lookout or the point or wherever it was in high school where everybody like, you know, made out or whatever. And then she pulls this whole kind of like repeat this like psychosexual kind of like high school game in the car with him where she basically is like mimicking what Eric had done to her in high school, where that she's basically just like teasing him and like basically like promising that they're going to like, you know, go all the way. And that she's asking him like, oh, say all these things that you said to me in high school or whatever like that. And it's kind of an intense scene. Not going to lie. It is very intense. And then at some point they get out of the car and it was at this moment where I stopped the film and I asked myself, 
Do we see John Belushi's dick right now? Oh, Lord. Like, do we? Are we seeing it right now? Because I'm pretty sure we do. And I just don't know if I was ready for that. You know what I'm saying? Look, I'm not one to speak ill of the dead, except that I totally am. Because <laughs> being dead does not make you exempt from us talking about your dick. I was doing some embroidery while I was watching this movie. And I cast my eyes aside just in case. Because, you know, back in the 70s, those boxers were real loose. So, like, something flopping out could have just happened accidentally. And I'm like, I don't even want to accidentally see John Belushi's dick. So I just worked an extra stitch there. (laughs) Because, okay, I was like, surely that's a stunt dick. That's not a real (laughs) dick, is it? Because there's like... He's effectively in this scene not wearing pants and, you know, they're kind of like on the ground and they're kind of about to like start intercourse. And then she kind of gets up because as we find out, she's like, see ya, sucker. Bye bye. And she gets in her car and fucking drives away, which is a very revengey move. It, it, I mean, yes. if that was at all faithful to what Paul Schrader thought this movie was going to be, this would have been it. Right. But then there's a moment where you ca- you catch a flash and I'm like, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing right now? I don't know what I think about this. Here's the thing. I hate to break it to you. They didn't have stunt dicks back then. <laughs> they didn't have the tech for it. <laughs> there was no <laughs> tech for stunt dicks. <laughs> that was just wang. <gasps> Well, I will say this for the record. It was at full attention from what I saw. (laughs) Again, working an extra stitch through that that whole scene. (laughs) Now, this movie, in fact, just as a side note, this movie was hard to watch for a very long time. It was kind of like out of print for many years. And only recently have I actually seen it around. I think it got like you know, they did a restoration or they struck a new print of it. And it, I saw it on canopy and it looked fantastic. Having said that, I was like, is the reason why it was lost for many years because of the maybe potentially erect real penis of John Belushi, which uh, comedic icon, John Belushi's real dick. Is that why we didn't see this movie for so long? Imagine being the arbiter of an estate. (laughs) And then you're like, here's what we're doing this week with my brother's estate, with my uncle's estate, etc. Do we want people to see his wang in the afterlife, it, post-life? <laughs> like, is that what Jim Belushi's been up to for all these years? <laughs> like, what is the, the legalities of that? <laughs> like, I'm in charge of someone's estate, and all of a sudden, here comes Paul Schrader and Joan Tewksbury, and they're like, yo, we want people to see this movie but we see your grandma's full snatch in it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want this job. <laughs> I no longer want this job. Well, and, and I admittedly am not the biggest John Belushi fan. I don't know if he always showed Dick in his movies. I don't know. Does he flash Dick in the Blues Brothers? Or I mean, I've, I've seen Animal House many times, but I don't think we saw it there. Like, I'm not sure if this is like something that he would do on the regs or if this was literally like an oopsie. We actually got something 
in the film or yeah. if it was a stunt dick. Now, I don't know the history of stunt dicks as you do. <laughs> I think it was one of those moments. <laughs> you ever been in a situation where you're like, oh, shit, something just happened. We're just going to let it ride and see what how it plays out. Like where you hear people at work arguing or something and you're like, oh. She just said that. Wait, let's see what happens. That's probably what's going on on set. Like, oh, my God, we're looking at his dick. Don't nobody move. Nobody say anything. Let's just get this on film and deal with it later. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It totally distracted me for at least the next like 10, 15 minutes of the film, because basically <laughs> she leaves. She drives away in the car. And, you know, as you can imagine, because he's that high school asshole still, he's cussing around. He's calling her a bitch yep. and like a whore as she's driving away. And I'm still on it. Like, was that his actual boner? Oh, my God. Please say no. Like, I don't know what I think of this. This is just so massively fucked up that I can't process what's happening after this. But well, what's also wild about that scene and, you know, the scene with Jeff before that is that we're getting this current iteration of how Diane feels about these men and these relationships based on how she's treating them. Right. But then we're also getting the voiceover of her old journals. So when she starts telling in her old journals, like the entry of what Eric did to her that night or how he treated her, how he made her feel, then you're juxtaposing that with him you know, still cursing her out in the same high school way while she's driving her car away. It's like, oh, I understand like that you wanted confirmation of this, but also you knew he was going to be this guy like that guy rarely turns into a different type of person. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? I mean, that was that is what happens when you decide to reopen old caskets, right? Is that sometimes you yes. just go, oh, shit, like this is literally the same guy never changed. And, you know, He's still pulling shit. So, I mean, again, movie should have been over by then. But of course it's not. <laughs> because here's another interesting thing that happens in the film is that. So while this is all happening, while she's out, you know, visiting boyfriend number two, Jeff, the first guy, goes to L.A. and hires a private investigator Baby girl, what is you doing? To find out what happened to her after she left him in a fever, right? Now, this PI is played by Buck Henry, who I love. Mm -hmm. And apparently his office is in Hollywood and Highland, right across the street from the Chinese theater. And I was like, damn, that is fucking tight real estate for a private investigator. <laughs> so the Buck Henry character actually tracks down like one of her old coworkers at the psych clinic she used to work at. Cause remember Diane is a psychologist and he tracks down her ex-husband who is now remarried to PJ souls apparently, and is having a great old time by the pool. But what happens is Jeff visits these people visits the old coworker, visits the ex-husband and finds out that Diane is again, like not doing great, but it's that moment where you're like, okay, why is the old boyfriend going back and working this hard to figure out where she is? And then it just kind of opens up this whole other layer of the story. Right. Well, completely. And it also, it brings in this, that was a very weird, um, like 10, 20 minutes of the film for me, because I'm like, all right, on the one hand, it could be that they're trying to say this is someone with some mental health issues and this is how she's trying to work them out, which is creative and interesting. 
And as a psychologist, she's like, you know, doing it in her own way. But the fact that it was the boyfriend kind of digging up this dirt about her felt a little bit slimy to me. Like, why are you trying to figure out like she left? She didn't say goodbye because she didn't want to. She didn't give you any forwarding information because she didn't want to. Like you tracking her down. It felt a little slimy in that moment, especially because it was like her and her ex-husband. So these two men that she'd previously been with talking about her. Yeah. Instead of talking to her and talking about like her deepest, you know, mental health struggles or or, like her deepest strife. And that just felt weird. Felt weird. Yeah. I had to say, too, I mean, part of my grievance with this film, and it's very small, is that there does feel like there's kind of separate stories here that would all make a really compelling film on their own. Right. Right. And part of me wishes that were the case. I got to be honest, which is that. This whole ex-boyfriend coming back to find her and to like discover like what's going on with her. That is a huge moment of a movie. And it's just kind of tucked in with all this other stuff that's happening. And part of me was like, oh, they should have made this a movie. Like they should just have made this whole thing with Jeff, just Jeff, a thing. And right. You know, there's tons to think about when it comes down to it, like when, when it comes to this film, because there's like, again, like different characters interacting and you just can't get it all wrapped up in this small amount of time. And it makes me wonder at the end of the day, like what would have happened if Joan Tewksbury was able to write and direct this yes. movie the way she wanted it and just more movies in general, it would have been maybe a different scenario, you know, completely. Cause I think it's, it's a fascinating role it's a fascinating um story in terms of you know what we usually saw of women in in the 70s like this you know 79 78 79 was kind of a time when i feel like we were seeing more complex stories about women and women's emotional lives on film um so i think it could have been a totally different and you know more interior look at this character if joan tewksbury had more freedom yeah to kind of express that totally because i will say now with the third boyfriend she visits. So after this whole thing is happening, she leaves Eric. Jeff is on the lookout for her in LA. And then Diane is on to the last boyfriend. She goes to like the house of this middle school boyfriend she had and finds out that he actually died in Vietnam from his younger brother, Wayne, who was played by Keith Carradine. I have a huge crush on Keith Carradine sidebar. <laughs> Like, no, no spoilers on Deadwood, but the first season of Deadwood is my shit. Like, I love Keith (laughs) Carradine so much. But his mother, he plays Wayne, who is the brother of the guy that that um, she dated, um, who is now passed. And like, so his mother tells Diane that Wayne is. 27 and he lives at home and he's maybe depressed and he sees he sees a psychiatrist and you know he he just kind of doesn't want to work or date or kind of live a full life and diane decides in this moment that she's gonna help him and they just start hanging out and of course diane being a psychologist kind of understands a little bit maybe about what's going on with him and they end up having this like kind of sweet but also kind of like like teenage romancy encounter and she comes back the next day after they've you know i guess you know had sex or whatever and she finds out from the mom that 
Wayne fully went into the hospital. He had a breakdown. Literally, he had a breakdown because he had sex with his dead brother's middle school girlfriend. Also, I'm going to say that a big part of probably what played into that is that prior to them having sex, he took her up to the attic to show her, like, here's all my brother's stuff. She made him wear one of his brother's sweaters. So he's already role playing as his dead brother. Yes. Then they went to the tree where like they had their first kiss and then they had sex. Yeah. And it's like, all right. So you turned the kissing tree into a fucking tree while I was dressed as my brother. I would go into a hospital after that. At, at, if uh, I was not even him, just yes. me right now, I would go into a hospital. A hundred percent fact. Cause I was basically like, this is massively fucked up. And she should know better. And then what happens is the next day she goes to the hospital where he's at. And, you know, the mom is like, stay away from my son. Right. She's like not having it. And she goes to the hospital that he's staying at and talks to his doctor, which I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the doctor is played by John Houseman of the paper chase. We mentioned the paper chase uh, all the time on this podcast. I don't know. I don't know how and why that became something we mentioned constantly. I have no but idea. I love this actor i don't want to find out he pro- i don't know i don't want to find out that he like kept slaves or something he's been old <laughs> since old began i don't know anything about his personal life but i will say that as an actor john houseman his main role his main function in any role is to read someone for filth yes like if you walk into a scene with john houseman you're walking out with no dignity you're walking out with no self-esteem He's just going to read you for filth. I mean, it's perfect. He's always he's playing like professors and doctors who like give it to you fucking straight and you're crying by the end of it. Right. Yes. And what that's exactly what happens is that he calls her out for messing with Wayne. And he's like, you ruined all this fucking work we did together. And you should know better because you work in mental health. And baby girl, what is you doing is is exactly his, his line to her. And I think it is at that moment where she kind of finally realizes wow maybe i shouldn't have done this this is massively fucked up i don't know what i'm doing out here and i'm not gonna spoil the movie but that is kind of like the weirdest part about this movie is that you know it wraps up in a way that maybe you would expect but maybe you wouldn't expect but again you do feel like this movie is slightly unfinished or maybe you do feel that kind of production history problem a little bit um and ultimately what we got from this movie is this its own thing to be talked about and it it is interesting but you know when i was prepping for this episode i was rereading this awesome book that was written by maya montana smuckler it's called liberating hollywood and it's basically a book all about the female directors that were working in america during the women's liberation movement of the 70s and she doesn't she has an entire section about Joan Tewksbury and she makes this argument that again even under the tutelage of someone like Robert Altman even with having the success of Nashville and Thieves Like Us like she wasn't able to make the movie she wanted to make with old boyfriends and the idea that she never directed another film again and primarily just worked in TV where it's like easier and faster to kind of get creative work done there. You know, I think it's proof of that. It's proof that like, basically she had this bad experience. You know, there was a lot of people attached to the film that could have made it like great, but it was, and it ended up just kind of not being 
hers to own. And maybe that is why the movie is the way it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I felt that friction in the ending for sure. For sure. Um, and I do think that it's it's. Not it wouldn't be a surprise to me if that's why, you know, this was the first and last movie she directed, because I think we've all heard of someone being cast as difficult when women are being cast as difficult and people don't want to work with them anymore. And, you know, we know the career that Paul Schrader went on to have versus the career that Joan Dukesbury went on to have. And I kind of think that, um, you know, I can understand as a creator just taking taking the, the road that would allow you to do your art in a way that didn't mean that you had to give over your entire soul for it. Like that can't have felt good to be in such friction about this storyline and like what was going on. Um, and if you can either fully own something or just do a job in something, I would chose choose that as well. Like if I can just come in and direct and leave and have my life, then I will do that instead of yelling <laughs> at people all day long about yeah. ideas that I want yeah. to put in this thing. Totally. I, but you know, at the end of the day, old boyfriend's I'm 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 it's one of these movies that I'm glad is back in circulation because it gives people the chance to watch it and yeah. see, you know, sort of like the situation that she was faced with. Joan Tewksbury was faced with. And, you know, ultimately, it is an interesting movie. I mean, it's obviously, you know, a great movie um, to watch sort of as the tail end of the 70s and, and moving into the 80s. You know, mm-hmm. um, obviously, like the people in the movie are great. There's, you know, Talia Shire, I think, is such a great actress. And in this movie, she manages to wear the frumpiest clothes ever, but still, you know, gets into her role and is really compelling. Like, ooh, 1979 with those vests and like... Lord, I was like, that's a lot of clothes. That's like boiled wool clothes. Like, you know, that's like road to perdition for women, basically. The 70s was like boots, knee socks, a long skirt, a v-neck sweater, a choker, a hat, a vest, a tunic, a belt. Victorian <laughs> collar swallowing a Dorothy Hamill haircut. I mean, it was wild. I loved this movie. Thank you so much for picking it. It was I'd never seen it before. I think it fits perfectly in this canon of movies from the 60s and 70s about women who are making different emotional choices and showing us some vulnerability. Um, and I just, I loved it. And if you want to see like the dark timeline, high fidelity, this 100%. is your movie. Couldn't have said it better. Okay. What about your movie? All right. So my movie for the theme of baby girl, <laughs> what is you doing? Was released in 2019. It was written and directed by Pedro Amadovar, and it is Pain and Glory. 32 años me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película. Si no escribes ni ruedas, ¿qué vas a hacer? Vivir, supongo. <laughs> oh, I have so much to say about this film. But before we get into the movie, I'm going to give just a little bit of background about Pedro Almodovar, the director and writer, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, he is so prolific and has been for so long. Like he's he's 71 right now. He started making movies like in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, um, but really hit with um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which was released in 1988. That's kind of what put him on the map. Uh, and that movie was nominated for so many awards. He ended up winning 
uh, not for that movie, but his first Academy Award was in 1999. He got a, a Best Foreign Film um, Academy Award for All About My Mother. And then in 2002, he won a Best Original Screenplay um, Academy Award for Talk to Her. But he's won BAFTAs. He's won <laughs> Con. He's won Goya Awards. Like he is a very well-venerated director. And the thing about Pedro Almodovar that I love, and the one of the reasons I wanted to choose this movie, because there are several of his films that could have oh, fit yeah. in this theme. We've been like trying um, to get so him many. on the, like we, we've, we're going to do an entire episode about his movies. So. Yeah. Like that's how much we've been wanting to talk about his films. Cause it's like we, and we kind of have to do like a whole episode, I think. But he's he's so prolific. And one of the things that is so wonderful about him is that he has created in all of his films this kind of signature world. So he works with a lot of the same actors again and again. He works in Madrid. He works in Spain. He works with some of the same themes like, you know, motherhood and passion and, you know, kind of letter writing kind of shows mm -hmm. up in all of his, most of his films. And he just has these themes that he kind of wields in a way that he creates a universe. Like the, the Almodovar cinematic universe is real. Um, and again, like the fact that he uses the same actors, like, you know, and such distinctive actors like Rosy De Palma, Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas. Like we're going to see a lot of those actors in this film. Uh, his brother, it always makes a cameo in all of his films, which I think is wonderful. Um, but he just kind of creates these worlds and there he explores things that are not necessarily taboo, but that are just not really discussed in film a lot. I think that's part of why he, when he came out with uh, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, it like hit so hard and it was like such a, such a bang. <laughs> it was such a bang because we were not used to seeing films that were so saturated with theme and story and passion. And I just really, I like that about him as a, as a writer and director. And um, I read this article as I was prepping for this, for this show. Um, there's an article in um oh gosh what is it? October 2011 from Slate um there's a woman named June Thomas who wrote about how she watched all of his movies in a month and um <laughs> the, the article is called repeat after me and she does mention how he tends to use these repeating themes and these repeating notions but the funniest thing to me is that she wrote about how um some of the things some of the things he comes back to again and again are vomiting <laughs> car accidents women urinating <laughs> and illegal drug use <laughs> And I'm like, June watched all of them and started pulling out some nuggets. Um, but what but, but was also interesting in the article, in that Slate article, um, was that she said, you know, he's not a copy and pasting kind of self-plagiarizer. So even though he's creating this world and using the same themes and using the same characters, the stories are all so distinct mm -hmm. and they're so exciting. And the other reason that I love watching his movies, and this one in particular is that his movies for me seem to like, they open like a flower. Like you think you know what it's going to be about. And by the end of the movie, you're like, I did not know that's what it was going to be about <laughs> at all. And I love that kind of, and it doesn't feel like trickery. It feels like you're following a narrative to its natural point. 
And it feels very real to life in that way. So I just, I love him. I think my other favorite fact about him is that he's been with his partner, um, Fernando Iglesias, since 2002. But they both, even though they both live in Madrid, they live in separate houses. The best. I mean, honestly, could it be any better? The best. Especially (laughs) since, too, like, the one thing that I read about this movie is that... um, uh, basically the apartment that Antonio Banderas's character lives in is like almost a direct recreation of a Moldovar's apartment. And I was like, right. Are you fucking kidding me? Cause that is such a gorgeous place to live that the entire time I was looking at it, like this is so, so fucking beautiful. Yeah. And the character even says at one point, you know, uh, you know, cause the character is playing a director and the character says, you know, I put all of my money into this apartment and art and art collecting. And it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to leave there either. (laughs) This is my sanctuary. I'm going to live here. You live across town. Peace. Deuces. Um, But I just, I really, I think he's fascinating. He is such a stunning director in every category. And I think it's also important that, you know, he is, I think he was probably my first experience um, in the nineties, late nineties, like when I started watching his movies where it was just really cool to see like a gay director who was talking about things that um, respectfully, I should say, talking about things that other people were not able to do in films. So he would talk about um, people with HIV. He talks about people, um, you know, and their experiences with the church. He talks about people and their experience with, with rape or with, you know, sexual assault, but he does it in such a human way way and i think that i don't know i just i love him i could talk about him for 17 hours so we will have a whole other episode about him in particular but this movie fits into that theme his his usual theme so so my one sentence synopsis of pain and glory yeah is a film director who is dealing with the physical effects of aging makes a somewhat disastrous decision that has a deep impact on his life as he takes an introspective look at where he's come from. Mm, that's a good one. So, then. Oh, I love this movie. Now, this movie's cast is great. Uh, we've got Antonio Banderas, who plays the main character, Salvador Malo, Sal. Uh, Salvo. I love they call him Salvo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Penelope Cruz plays his mother, Jacinta, in like flashbacks. There is an actor whose name I am going to butcher this and I'm so sorry. Um, But (laughs) his name is Asier Etzendia. He plays Albert Crespo. He is such a phenomenal actor. Uh, and then again, just like a pe- the rest of the cast is just kind of peppered with um, like, you know, Julieta Serrano, uh, just peppered with people who have been in Almodovar films. And I love this movie from the first image, which is Antonio Banderas floating in a pool and you see this big big scar going up his spine because he's had spinal fusion surgery mm-hmm. and he's kind of resting in a way that feels like, Oh, this is the only way that he can feel comfortable. Um, Cause one of the things that I think, and, and they, he says this right off the bat in like the first 15 minutes of the movie um, as Salvador Malo is going through his list of ailments that he's dealing with. Like he goes through a list, just an absolute cavalcade of, of ailments that he's going through. Um, and he says, I got to know my body through pain and illness. 
And that just hit me so hard because you're watching him. There's this one part where you're watching him trying to get into and out of a cab. And because he's had this spinal fusion surgery, he moves very slowly and very deliberately. And his back is rigid and you can see the lack of movement. Same thing happens later when you see him in his house sitting on a couch trying to get up, trying to get down. He can't wear shoes with laces anymore because he can't tie them. Mm. It hit me so hard. I have had, I don't know if anyone, if you've ever had a back issue, but I had an issue a couple of years ago where I pulled my pelvis out of its socket somehow. Holy like shit. I tripped over a tree stump in LA, walking down the street, tripped, tripped over like a sidewalk tree stump, and then just had this increasing and excruciating pain. And I finally went to a physical therapist and he's like, oh, your, your pelvis is popped out of the socket. And I'm like, well, can you pop it back in? And he showed me how to do it. Like he did all the moves and like showed, and I had to do all these exercises. But prior to that, there were so, I had gone to a chiropractor, I'd gone to acupuncturist. There were so many days for at least a year where I would come home and just, it was all I could do. It took me, took me about 10, 15 minutes to even get on the floor. And then I would just lay on the floor on my stomach and cry. Like it hurt so bad and it affected my entire life. Like I couldn't sit in chairs for long. It was miserable. So just watching him like in this role where he's trying to not just deal with his pain, but understand his pain. And as a way of trying to alleviate his pain, it just hit me so hard. Um, But with the story that we have going on here, it's basically, um, so he's this director, he had a really big hit film, like 32 years prior. And you know, someone's doing a retrospective of his career and they want to show this movie and do a Q&A with him and the main actor in the film, uh, Albert Crespo. And they haven't talked in 32 years. They, it, it's basically revealed that they haven't talked since the film came out. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so he goes, he goes to Albert's house and is like, hey, uh, they're doing this retrospective and they want us to, you know, kind of be part of it. And Albert's like, fuck you, but also come in, whatever. <laughs> they start talking. And they start talking and they're out in the backyard and Albert is like, I'm going to do some heroin. And Salvo goes, I want to try it. And it's his first time doing heroin. And you're like, baby girl, what is you doing? Exactly. I know you're in pain, but baby girl, what is you doing? I know. And it's funny because Albert is basically like, look, People who start doing drugs later in life, it gets real scary. You can go real hard. <laughs> that yeah. line cracked me up because I'm like, yeah, there is real truth in that statement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you don't know how to control. You haven't, you haven't built up a tolerance. Like you're just going hard all the time if you start at that point in your life. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's what's also wild. And again, this is part of like the lyrical beauty of, of Almodovar films is that as salvo starts nodding off once he does heroin he starts thinking about his childhood so we're getting to see in flashbacks these images of his mother and his father and this family um you know living in this cave uh in the mountains and you know just kind of what their life was like and you're seeing the the origins of a very smart child who is obsessed with film and obsessed with um, you know, pop culture. And he, this is what he thinks about when he's high, essentially. So then, you know, rocking him back to real life and he's in pain 
and he's in strife and he's not creating anything. And he's kind of been been withered down. Like there's this really intensely beautiful scene where he's at um, and it's not beautiful visually. It's just beautiful because of what they're saying. But he's at this doctor's office and he's saying, you know, like I I don't have the physicality to be a director anymore. It's not, you know, that I'm worried. It's like I can't do it. You know, I physically can't do it. And he's asking for help. And he's like, I want you to help me, like, get my life back and live my life. And he's very honest about the fact that he's been doing heroin. Right. Um, but prior to that, it's like, again, this this typical thing that happens with, with Alma Dobar films. You think it's going to be about this guy and this actor and them reuniting and him doing heroin. But it goes so much deeper than that. So... The other baby girl, what is you do in moment for me is when he reveals that he's been writing, um, you know, these kind of short stories, or I should say Albert finds out that he's been writing these short stories, thinks one would be a really good play. And Salvo is like, yeah, you can do it. Don't put my name on it, though, because it's too confessional and I don't want you know, anything to do with it. And as a writer, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, right. I <laughs> was like, going to say... <laughs> <laughs> it works in the narrative of the film, though. Um, but it's like, what are you doing? And so he is kind of, you know, helping his friend in an artistic way, in a way that he can't help himself. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this play being produced, which is about Salvo's first love and how, um, you know, his first love, there was a something that happens in that play. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but. There's something that happens in that play that makes you realize that his doing heroin is a little bit darker than we even imagined. Yes. And so, um, you know, we were dealing with the past loves and again, like his this very gentle movement of him, um, you know, as a child and how close he was with his mother and how tough she was and, you know, him discovering his sexuality and all these moments of art and and love and sex it's just it's wonderful um and then the movie goes into a whole different place in the third act that i don't want to ruin either um but i will say that it is there are some really big de decisive moments here that you're like what are you doing <laughs> yeah baby girl what is you doing but it leads to to what feels to me like such a an epic and gentle exploration of what it means to age and what it means to age, not just in your body, but in your heart. Yeah. And I just, I love this movie. Oh my God. There's so, there was so much that there's so much that I thought about when I watched this movie, because, you know, the first thing that you notice right off the bat is that you're like, Oh, is this about Pedro Maldivar? Like you wonder because, yes. you know, Antonio Banderas's character has the hair he has the the shock of white hair that's kind of spiky and you know he's a director too he had a mm -hmm. you know critically acc acclaimed smash movie 30 years prior you know he's like so there's this moment where you're like oh my god it's like antonio banderas is playing you know pedro and that he was the Albert character. So, you know what I mean? Like, you're mm -hmm. like, wow, this is kind of cool. And his, his mother was a letter writer uh, and his mother died in 1999, but his mother was a letter writer and he has a character in the film who writes letters for people in the village who can't read or write. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and let me just tell you, I mean, here's the thing about Antonio Banderas. And I don't know why I forget this because he's been in so many great movies. 
he's a fucking great actor. Like, oh, he's incredible. And, you know, I don't know why, like, I forget. And and maybe it's because I remember when he dated Melanie Griffith or something. I don't know. I don't know why right. I don't remember it, but he's great. In doing this research, I realized I didn't know they were they were together for 20 years. Yeah. They have a kid. Every I did not. I thought like, ah, they dated once. They were together for 20 years. Yeah. And they were just like always uh, in the tabloids and stuff. I remember that in yeah. the 90s. They were just always in the tabloids. And I'm always like, why do I forget? Because he's fucking fantastic in this movie. And, you know, and the other thing about Penelope Cruz, I have to tell you, she might be one of the most beautiful women I've ever fucking seen. Yes. And she looks exactly the same as she did 10, 20, 30 fucking years ago. Yes. Um, Volver is one of my favorite oh, Amaldivar movies. And so her good. style in that movie is like who I've wanted to be since that movie came out. Oh. She's got this like beautiful European Spanish, like that's Cause that's the thing about Pedro's movies that are the greatest is that they use these really amazing colors, oh, saturated reds, the and color palette and, of oh. his movies are so good. Right. It's like Wong Kar Wai almost like that very distinctive Ugh. coloring that elicits the mood that they're going for. Like they work very well together in his films. Yeah. And it's 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 totally like when you go to Europe, like when you go to places like France and Italy and Spain and you mm -hmm. see the colors of the of the place that you're in and they're very bright and it's the sun is shining. And I mean, it's just there's just so gorgeous. And like she in this movie, she plays like, you know the young version of his mother. So, you know, she's playing, you know, against a child actor basically. And, you know, it's suggested that they grew up kind of poor and that she was very much sacrificing so much for him, uh, when he was a child and they have to like live in, you know, it's kind of these like catacombs. I've, I've seen this in Italy. I mean, it, it sort of was the like, way that the old villages used to be but um you know basically she's kind of like oh my god we're living underground and the, this is not great but they she she makes it kind of hospitable and beautiful and she gets you know somebody to come in and and, and put tiles in the kitchen and she's got plants and i'm just like ah oh, this is this entire thing is so gorgeous <laughs> and penelope is so gorgeous i just wanted to like live in those scenes you know what i mean yes same, same. I wanted to be transported back through time and across the world and just live in that moment because it was really it was just it's just, again, a beautiful, a truly beautiful film. And it's a, it's about, you know, the longevity of family. Yeah. And again, like the pain that you carry in your heart, they have there's such a touching scene between him and his mother that, again, I don't want to ruin. Yeah. Um, but there's such a touching scene with them that just like brings me to tears anytime I see this movie and the ending brings me to tears and it's just, yeah. it, oh, it's, it's stunning. Yeah. It's one of those movies. I mean, it really does make you contemplate aging and which is listen for my money at this point in my life. That's all I watch. That's all I want to watch is people <laughs> contemplating their lives. Old fucking age. Sorry. That's just where I'm at. You know me, we talked about fucking old Brad Astra. It's just the way it is. And so, of course, this movie fucking hit me where I fucking live. And, you know, so much of like his bad decision, right? The, the decision to start doing heroin <laughs> as a middle aged man. OK, is because he has so much physical pain. 
right? And he's trying to find something that's going to just make him feel physically good, but also like help him kind of get into a better mindset. And it is the thing where he takes heroin you know, to be mobile, but also to just kind of remember all these things about his childhood. And it kind of opens the door for him to kind of like figure out like his old life. Not a great decision, as you've mentioned. Right. Not baby girl. What is you doing? But also there is a book by um, Dr. Carl Hart, I believe his name is. uh, And he talks about how he's been like a regular heroin user for like eight years and how I haven't read it yet. But he I want it's in my my stack um, where he's talking about how we criminalize drugs and how drugs can be useful for certain things and how, you know, even these hardcore class A drugs could have a different you know spin on them. I haven't read it yet. I'm talking out of my ass right now, but (laughs) it is definitely known that a lot of people go come to drugs as a way to incite their creative mind um i personally have never done that but um i you know it's it's a it's a trope it's a trope for sure and i think that he the way that we usually see that story play out is from the side of addiction when things have gone too far yeah and it was really really cool to see it and it gave it i think so much more emotional heft to see it from the perspective of the beginning like why would somebody do this and what is going on with them that they would start to do this and he's already on oxycodone and he's already on all these drugs and he already takes all these pills all day and he's just looking for relief so i think we don't really see that side of the the tale too often yeah i I totally agree and even with albert who is effectively an addict he is sort of able to you know, figure out a way to be an everyday user. And, you know, cause he talks about how he doesn't want to do heroin while he's doing the play and, you know, but it, you're right. It, you never see that part. And I, you know, maybe because it seems kind of unachievable in a weird way. Right. Because, you know, obviously like heroin is a very addictive substance and it's, not good for your body uh, for a lot of people. So you are like, God, that is a bad move to do heroin, but then it's not, it's a little bit more nuanced. It's not the typical, like you're down in the fucking sewers shooting up. It's a different take, which I did appreciate at the end of the day, but honestly, for my money, I haven't seen a movie that I've enjoyed like this in a really long time. I just have to say it. And I don't know why I was surprised because I love Pedro Maldivar. Like I love him. I've loved his movies. I hadn't seen the last couple. And it, after I watched pain and glory, I was like, I, that is a horrible mistake. I need to be rewatching all of his old (laughs) movies. I need to watch the shit that I never watched. And what is wrong with me, baby girl? What is I doing? Because I haven't been watching Pedro amount of our movies 24 hours a day. (laughs) Baby girl, what is I doing? Indeed. I had the same response. I'm like, I'm going to go back and watch all the films. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know structurally how that's going to work out, but I'm going to do it. I want to do it. I'm I'm so glad you picked it. And honestly, it was, it was such a joy to watch. I know we can't like get into all of the beats because it reveals too much of the story, but you know, as a sort of like think piece or whatever on aging and, you know, looking backwards and, you know, digging up, you know, old dirt, so to speak. It's so good. And it's, it's, it's like one of the best movies that he's made in a really long time. I just loved it. So 
completely. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. This was a fun episode. Baby Girl, What Is You Doing? will definitely be making a comeback because so many bad decisions happening on film. Oh, to- totally. We- we've got to do it again. And, you know, when it comes down to it, like, you know, your mileage may vary when it comes to digging up the past in order to propel yourself forward. In, in the case of my movie, I say don't look up ex-boyfriends and don't drive across the country to visit them. Like, I agree that your mileage may vary with revisiting old boyfriends. But I think in terms of, of my film, I got a lot out of thinking about, um, you know, what it what it means to revisit a memory. And, you know, what are you actually revisiting? And as someone who's like, you know, I'm a memoirist and I write yes. about my life. And it was just, you know, it's an interesting movie uh, from that perspective. So I'm really glad that we got to we got to watch these films. Uh, do you want to tell them what's coming up next week? Oh, my God. Do I? The movies for next week are Misery from 1990 and Piranha from 1978. Uh, try to guess the theme. We've been doing a lot of fun summertime movie themes. Yes. And I feel like we're going out with a bang. I think we are, too. Um, well, listen, folks, if you want to contact us in any way, if you just want to talk about your favorite Pedro Maldovar movie, if you want to talk about the time that you went to your middle school boyfriend's house and he um, was alive and really boring, you can just email us at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. You can, <laughs> it's alive and boring. You can also <laughs> find us on our socials at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. And listen, We've got merch, people. It's in the Exactly Right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com. And so many people have been telling us that they've been signing up for um, our bonus episodes on Stitcher Premium, which is fantastic. We love that. Thank you so much. But you can also be part of that crew. All you have to do is use the promo code SAW for a free month uh, that has not yet expired. So, you can still do it. I know a lot of people were like, oh, I missed it. You didn't miss it. It's still possible. Use the promo code SAW. Go to Stitcher. Listen to our bonus apps. Yeah. And we actually do a lot more mailbag stuff on the um, bonus episodes. So, you know, if you've written in and, you know, you're like, oh, whatever happened to that email that I sent those two weird women? Hey, it might be there. No press. Just saying it might be there. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Alive and boring. <laughs> Listen, I'm so glad that I make good decisions with you for this podcast. Thank you for giving me the platform to ask myself, baby girl, what is I doing? (laughs) Just when you think it is, baby girl, what is you doing? Sometimes it is, baby girl, what is I doing? You know what they say when you point a finger, there's three fingers pointing back. So (laughs) there's three baby girls pointing back when you point a finger. At the baby girls. <laughs> oh my god. Let's end this. We can do this all night. See you guys Bye. next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. Email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. 
And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 